in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit may be truly wise, never rejoice in his consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. Father Terry, pray for us. St. Ignatius, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So we welcome you all to our mini course on the book of Jonah. Uh, before getting into the book, I'd like to just uh, spend just a couple minutes on speaking about this day, especially for the oblates. So I think it's worth mentioning. Today is the titular feast day of the oblates. So if you can just give me about five minutes, I'd like to explain, because it's the most important day of the year for us as Oblates, and I think given that you come to an Oblate parish, uh, I think you should, you should know that. Okay? Uh, there's a difference between a diocesan priest and a religious priest. Probably most of you don't know the difference. But I, help, I happen to be a religious priest. So that means I have a double vocation. A double blessing, but a double responsibility. So I'm a priest. Uh, that's pretty obvious, but many don't know that I'm a religious priest. So religious priest means that I belong to a religious congregation. And you, you'll meet religious priests uh, uh, in the Philippines, here, Italy, wherever you are. But then you go to a parish where there's a diocesan priest. I'm not saying one's better than the other. But there's a big difference. So uh, a religious priest has a founder. And the founder will transmit to his religious family what is called a charism. You've probably heard the word charism, charismatic movement. But charism means a specific... Physiognomy, I can use a medical word, a specific characteristic that defines who we are. Okay? For example, I'm, uh, I'm not a Dominican. I'm not a Franciscan. I'm not a Carmelite. I'm not a Camaldolese. Okay? I'm not a Cistercian. I'm not a Trappist. I'm not an Augustinian. So, I'm an oblate. Three weeks ago, I went to give a mission appeal, and the priest, I really, I love the guy, he was an older guy, but every time he introduced me, he in- introduced me with the, with the wrong name of my congregation. No? First time he got it right, and then, he got it wrong another six times, and he was an older priest, and he said, I'm not even going to correct him. No? And most of you that see us, you don't know us, you'll probably say, oh, yeah, we have oblates there in, in, um, in Africa, as well as in um, Nairobi, yeah. Yes, OMIs, but we're OMVs. So we're oblates of the Virgin Mary. Okay, the OMI would be Oblates of Mary Immaculate. Once someone asked, how many Oblates are you on the word Oblates of the Virgin Mary? The priest said, "Uh, not more than 20,000. We're 150. So we've always been a very small congregation. The founder of the OMI is St. Eugene Massanode. He's a canonized French saint. Lived at the same time as my founder. 
and popular missions was part of his charism as well as ours. So um, today is our titular feast day. Our titular feast day. And it's the day in which all of us made our first vows. Now most of you have, have heard of vows. Uh, if, you're, if you're married, you made marriage vows. Okay, you made marriage vows, but also religious priests, they, they make religious vows. And what is vow? It's a solemn promise that we make to God before the church and before the people of God to live out these vows. Most congregations have three. Some actually have four. Okay? okay? Uh, some have four. The classical ones would be chastity, poverty, and obedience. But there are some that actually have four. For example, the missionaries of charity have four vows. And they would be poverty, chastity, obedience, and serving the poorest of the poor. That would be their fourth vow. Okay? When I was in Rome uh, for seven years as a deacon, I worked in a hospital, the Fatti Beni Fratelli. Okay, Dr. Dan knows a little bit of Italian. Fatti Beni Fratelli, if you know your Italian well, it means the, the do good brothers. And they, Fatti Beni Fratelli, and they, 90, 95% are brothers, they're not priests. And I was working there along the Trastevere as a deacon. And um, many of the Italian buildings are ugly outside. You get inside, they're the most beautiful buildings in the world. So a very ugly hospital inside, a very good hospital. And I was in there working as a deacon visiting the sick. And the brothers treated me like the king of the world. I wasn't even a priest yet. I said, well, you guys, you're so hospitable. And the brother said, well, we better be. It's our fourth vow. <laughs> so hospitality was actually the vow. And they really, they really lived it out well. So we have four, three vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. And chastity is not simply having a, not having a wife. That's a very... Um, that's a very superficial interpretation of it. Yeah, we don't have a wife, obviously. But it's so that we can love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the essence of it. So we become priests because we can fall in love head over heels with Christ. And that's the purpose of my life. And not through a wife and children, but directly through God. So in a certain sense, there's kind of an advantage there. Your husband might be in a bad mood, right? <laughs> but Jesus is never in a bad mood, nor is Mary, nor St. Joseph. <laughs> and uh, poverty means this. Poverty means that we don't, we don't possess material things. Okay, okay, you see we have a house over there, right? Uh, we have a house over there. I have a room, but I'm, you know, when I'm, if I'm transferred, the room is going to be given to another oblate priest. So I'm just temporarily living in that room. You see, you see me drive a car. Okay, I've been driving this this Camry car for about 15 years, and but it's it's lent to me. I don't drive it too much, but if I have to walk everywhere. There's going to be a lot of time I'm wasting, right? Uh, so, poverty is one of the most liberating vows in the world. I don't, I don't, I don't own anything. But I have God. And that's enough for me. And I come from a wealthy family. I can't, I can't deny it. No? My brother's a back surgeon. Or those people are pretty wealthy. No? But... The fact that I have God, I'm the richest person in the world. I am. 
I just received communion. I'm a multi-trillionaire. And I'm not using hyperbole, literary flair to emphasize the point. Webster, right? <laughs> no, I'm not using any hyperbole. I'm telling you the truth. I'm the richest person in the world. And obedience means that in humility, I submit my will to the will of God through my superior. I'll give you an example. I was with my 92-year-old mom uh, a few weeks ago and with my siblings. And they came back from vacation. And I was ready to do a mission appeal. You know what that is? A mission appeal. To ask, go to Paris so we can get money for the Philippines especially. So I was ready, and it was, the, it was the weekend in which there was a storm. Remember that? Yes. And I said, okay, who cares? You know, in New York, you have a lot of storms. You learn to live, live with a lot of rain, at least on the East Coast. And Father Larry, he put right near my door, said, I don't want you to go there. Okay. My idea was, I'm, I want to go there. I want to go there. I was ready. I had some ideas I was going to preach on. Um, I did the GPS. I was able to find us in L.A. It's only about 25 minutes away without traffic on Sunday. But as soon as I got the notice from him saying, I don't want you, I don't want you to go, I didn't fight with him. He's my superior. I obey. What peace. I knew that I was doing God's will because I have a superior. So when Father Larry tells me to do something as such, I obey. And it was just, I slept well at night. I was able to rest a little bit more. I had my mass here. I was able to greet a lot of the people. And that, that's the beauty of the vow of obedience because you know you're doing God's will. And, and, but my, my plan was I'm ready to go. My plan, I'm ready to go. But the fact that God speaks to superiors at peace. At peace. Okay, so then each of us have what is called a charism. So quickly, I just I like to go through the oblate charism, then we'll, we'll we'll go to the belly of the whale if you'd like to. Okay, <laughs> we're going to get out though. Okay, we'll get out, right? The belly of the whale. Yes. Yeah? <laughs> Uh, I, I honestly believe our charism is a beautiful charism. One is that we belong to Mary. Amen? Amen. We belong to Mary. The fact that I belong to Mary, that gives a lot of consolation. And I was telling some of the priests that I've suffered and we all have. But maybe I've suffered a little bit later Less than others, because hail, Holy Queen, Mother Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Mary softens the blow. I believe it. And if you really love Mary, she'll help you to carry the cross. Believe me. Believe me. And then... Our charism is giving the spiritual exercises. How many of you have done the spiritual exercises? Were they helpful? Yes. Okay, so most of you have done the spiritual exercise, And this is kind of an extension of the exercises. Kind of an extension of the exercise. So that's our charism. Giving the spiritual exercise. Then our charism is... And this is taken from St. Alphonsus, who's part of our formation, St. Alphonsus Liguori, is giving popular missions. Popular missions means we, we go to parishes and we give missions. Uh, could be any time during the year, but especially Advent and Lent. Already in Vero Beach, a priest asked me to go there in Lent to give a mission there in Vero Beach, Florida. So we go to parishes and we give missions. Another part of our charism is 
the formation of the lay people. That's what I'm doing right now. Okay? It doesn't mean you're laying down on the job, okay? Uh, lay person means someone who's not a priest or religious. Formation of the lay people. So all this year, I'll be giving a lot of courses to the adults in all the formation programs, okay? Formation of the adults, and they are the primary teachers of the children. And also part of our charism is fighting against current heresies. When my founder lived, it was basically, maybe you heard the word Jansenism, okay? In the time of St. Dominic, is Albigensianism. These are the heresies of the past. But today, you know, there are so many, so many heresies out there today. So many heresies, I don't know where to begin at times. You mention almost anything spiritually, there's a heresy out there today. Dogmatically, morally, sacramentally, we're just filled with so many heresies today. Now, I'll just mention one. This is within the church. Pope Ben XVI mentioned it. He named it the dictatorship of moral relativism. When I went to college there in the East Coast, were called situation ethics. More or less the same thing. Han calls it cafeteria Catholicism, where you pick and you choose whatever you like. I say that that, within the context of the church, is probably the biggest heresy. And that started really in 1968 with Humanavite, once Paul VI issued that encyclical that you can't use contraception. There was an outright rebellion in that moment, 1968. And all hell broke loose, which a lot of people said they did not want to abide by, even some priests. Even the Winnipeg document in Canada, some of the bishops, most of the bishops in Canada, said that they they would defy that document. That's just one. And I mention one other. Okay, this is this is philosophical, but materialism. Materialism in the United States is probably the biggest, and that spawns what consumerism, and then consumerism, hedonism, and then agnosticism, then practical atheism then dogmatic atheism, you see? One leads to another. That's part of our charism. and giving you a lot of the erroneous philosophical systems because the errors, my dad would say, the thought is the father of the deed. You know, the thought is the father of the deed. You know, what we do, what we do before, is it starts with a thought and it's conceived, it's an engendered and it becomes an action. And then the action is repeated, becomes a habit. A bad habit is called a vice. A good habit is called a virtue. Then also, part of our charism is the formation of the formation of priests. Uh, the most noteworthy priest in the Oblates that doing is doing this. Father Tim Gallagher. He's doing incredible work in the formation of priests. But pray for me, for because in about ten days I'll be I'll, I'll be going through a ten-week uh, spiritual exercise with a Vietnamese priest. Okay? So a young Vietnamese priest is, is pursuing Father Bruin. So I want to make this spiritual exercise. So I'll be giving the uh, ten weeks to this young Vietnamese priest, which I think is one of the most important things for me. Help to form this priest to become a saintly priest. So pray for me. I hope I hope it goes well. Then he he asks other priests to come and follow suit. No? So this is part of our charism. And I can help to form this form this Vietnamese to become a saint. He's going to save thousands of souls. Yeah, maybe more. The sky's the limits. Then. Uh, Finally, part of our charism 
is also when my founder lived, he lived from 1759 to 1830, so the 18th and the beginning of the 19th century. It was the spreading of good literature, giving good books. That's still applicable. That's still applicable, but it's much more extensive today. For example, I've written four books, okay, and I'm a couple more in the pipeline already, no? So I've written four books. It's a way to preach. But I have Facebook. I have YouTube. I have Instagram. Yeah. I've had my radio program in Spanish for ten years, no? That's another way to preach. I've been at EW10 a couple of times. It's a great way to preach. The audience, almost as if the sky is the limits. So I step back and say, whatever program I can use to live out the last words of Jesus, go out and preach to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you always until the end of the world. Amen? Amen. So, um, I, 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 I felt praying and preparing for this talk, I thought that if, if I didn't talk about that in the principal feast day of an oblate, I would be almost cheating you because you have a, a right, almost an obligation to know us a little bit better. Okay, Was that helpful? Yes. So now you know the fundamental charism of the oblates based on the love for Mary. Uh, but I'd like to say one last thing. On, on, on Mary. It, today's the holy name of Mary. If you study the founders, they all, they all have great devotion to Mary, but a different facet. St. Augustine was a lady of good counsel. Any Filipinos here? Okay, do you know who was who the same instrumental and bringing the devotion of Our Lady Perpetual Help to the Philippines. Maybe you don't even know. It's the Redemptorists. You probably have a church of St. Alphonsus in Manila, Manila, as well as Our Lady Perpetual Help. You probably have it. We have it in Church. Okay. But if it weren't for, if it weren't for St. Alphonsus, you would not have the devotion to Our Lady Perpetual Help. Yes. So it's St. Alphonsus, Liguori, in Italian... Great doctor. He's the one that promoted devotion to a lady of perpetual help. Yes. St. John Bosco loved Mary, but it's our lady help of Christians. What about St. Dominic? Our lady of the rosary. How about St. Saint Francis, the Porciuncula, a lady of the angels, right? What about St. Teresa of Avila, be the, our lady of Mount Carmel, right? How about if we're going to be Colby? Obviously, the Immaculata. How about Mother Teresa? The Immaculate Heart of Mary. How about Father Lanteri? What I'm going to say to you, is going to, it'll shock you, but you'll understand that's part of our charism. Okay, it's the holy name of Mary, but my founder, whenever there's a heresy that that comes in, it's Mary's heel that crutches the heresy. She's the vincitrice in Italian, the tutta le heresie, or in, in English, she's the conqueror of all heresies. So that's the specific Marian characteristic of the Oblates. She's the one that conquers the heresies. So if we want to conquer the many heresies, we've got to love Mary. And use the spiritual slingshot. Remember David against Goliath, right? The spiritual slingshot. The spiritual slingshot is the rosary. You have to wield your rosary. One occasion, Padre Pio, you've heard of Padre Pio. He said, give me, give me my weapon. And he said, oh, do you believe in war? No. No, my weapon is the rosary. Yes. The weapon is the rosary. Okay. So, uh, let, let's, uh, let's enter into this mini-retreat, called a mini-retreat. 
in which we're going to be encountering the person of Jonah. This is a five centuries before Jesus, called the post-exilic didactic literature, if I can wax eloquent now, okay? So it's the post-exilic, after the exile. Didactic, you know what that means, didactic? Didactic means teaching literature. Didactic means teaching literature. Okay, this is, this is a, a very short book in the Bible. So we're getting to know the Bible more and more. Probably some of you were with me when I gave the course on the letter of St. James, right? Some of you came along with me, no? So we spent five days on St. James. We spent a day for every chapter. So this is a this is a book. There's only four chapters, and altogether you're only going to get about 25 verses in the whole book. Because each chapter is only about 10 verses, but very very substantial. Very substantial. So our protocol, our protocol or method is going to be the same that we use for the exercises. Think about a tripod, okay? Tripod, you got three different legs. So the first will be uh, the, uh, the presentation I give. And that'll be the, today, in the, and there's gonna be, it's gonna be three days in a row. I've given course where it's three weeks in a row. This is gonna be three days in a row. So it'll be today, tomorrow, and uh, Thursday. And if you want to invite a friend to come, even though your friend has missed a day, they can come. They can get something out of it. But I want to make sure, sure that I see your, your beautiful faces the next two days, okay? Bob, you've got to get glasses. Okay. <laughs> okay, I heard you. You're reading your thoughts, huh? <laughs> So oh, come the next two days. It's going to go to go and, and see this as within St. James as a, tr- a retreat. See it as a, a mini retreat. Okay, then when I finish, uh, we'll be able to divide into sharing groups. We'll share a few minutes. And then the most important part is every day you're going to be spending spending time reading and meditating one chapter of Jonah and the last day you'll, you'll meditate a couple couple chapters. The book, if you just... I, I, on Sunday I was doing some research. The book I read in, in about 12 minutes. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you just want to read through it, you can read through it quickly. But we want you not simply to read through it, but also we want to meditate upon it. Meditate upon. I can spend now an hour just maybe on two or three words. Two or three, or maybe one verse. Or maybe one contemplative concept. So Ignatius says it's not in learning much, but relishing the truth. That's what counts. Not in learning much, but relishing the truth. Okay, so... Find some time, find an hour to do your an hour to do your meditation. And hopefully you can do it earlier rather than later. Okay? Earlier the better. The earlier the better. And then after you finish your meditation, as is the style and the exercises, write down, write down what seemed to captivate you most? Okay, what seemed to really touch you most? All right. What I'd like to do now is I want to try to just give you, I want to just try to give you a, um, a summary of the book and then we'll, we'll read a couple of verses and we'll be able to divide into our groups. All right. This is what happens. You have a man named Jonah. And Jonah is 
He's a Jewish man. And he's pious. He's prayerful. And God talks to him. So the word of God arrives at Jonah. And God tells Jonah to get up and to go to a place called Nineveh. Okay, to go to a place called Nineveh. Jonah did not want to go. Okay, Nineveh was a very, very important city in Assyria. And I was doing some research on this. It would be modern-day Iraq, Mosul, where the church was attacked and destroyed about two years ago, Mosul. So Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh, one of the chief cities of Assyria. And these were basically the enemies of the Jews. So what would happen if God spoke to you and said, I want you to get on the plane and I want you to head off to Baghdad and just walk through Baghdad and start to preach to the people in Baghdad. Would you do that? Probably not. What would you do? Think about it. I was thinking of a good way to illustrate this by means of a by means of a um, a song. Okay, ready? Okay. <laughs> Hello, goodbye. Hello, goodbye. I don't know why you say hello, I say goodbye. You say yes, I say no. You say go, and I say no, no, no. You say hello, and I say goodbye. The Beatles, 1964. Okay, you're laughing at that, but that's exactly what Jonah did. God said to him, go, And Jonah said, no, no, no. (laughs) And the reason being, he's going, he's got to go to a foreign country and he's got to preach to these people that were basically the enemies of the Jews. Recognizing that this is going to be very, very difficult, very, very difficult uh, assignment. So I think you got to cut the guy a little bit of slack. We probably would have done the same thing. Therefore, afterward, I wrote an article for you. Say thank you, Father. Okay. And my article is called the Jonah Complex. So you're going to get a five-page article by Father Brumo. My article is going to be longer than the chapters, almost. No? <laughs> so I wrote an article called The Jonah Complex, where all of us can identify ourselves with this guy. But I don't think we have to be we're so hard on the poor guy. We probably would have, we, we would have lived out the Beatles song, Hello, Goodbye. Right? So God tells Jonah to go. And he says, no, no, no. And what he does is not only does he say no, but he looks for a ship going in the opposite direction toward a place called Tarshish. So he wants to go in the opposite direction. Here's a question. Has God ever asked you to do something and you said no and you went in the opposite direction? Hello? Hello? I really feel that this book is going to speak to all of us. By the end of this course, I'm going to say this is the Jonas Club. 
You're all going to have on your forehead, my new name is Jonas, huh? You have it under the refrigerator as well as on your, as well as on your forehead, no? So, he embarks, the ship is heading in the opposite direction. And he's with sailors. These sailors, they believe in God. But they believe, they, they believe in, a, in a pagan God. So as they're sailing along, happens is uh, God sends, guess what? A storm. And it was a huge storm. And the storm was so so violent that the sailors start to cry out to their gods for help. And it's getting worse. Now, if you're in a storm in a ship, would you go down to the lower level to have a siesta? That's what he did. And the Bible points out sleep when, 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 when you got someone sleeping often it's being negligent of your obligation. What would be the, what would be the best example? First sorrowful mystery, right? What did the apostles do? They fell asleep. They should have been praying with Jesus, right? They fell asleep and as a result of that, as a result of them falling asleep, they ran away from Jesus. Have you ever fallen asleep in your holy hour? Any? Yes, Father. Uh-huh. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cut close to the bone. You're going to cut close to the bone. How often have we been sleeping when we should be vigilant and awake? Right, Chris? Yeah. So there he is. He's in the lower level of the boat, asleep, when the storm is getting worse and worse and worse. Now, they go down and they wake him up and they say, get up. And they think that it's probably his fault. It's probably his fault. And they ask him, where are you from? And he, he doesn't lie. He says, I'm a Jew. I'm a believer in the God of heaven and earth, and the sea and the skies. And he says, I've run away from God. And they say, why, why did you do this? So they're remonstrating with him. So they decide they're going to do something very interesting. They're going to pick lots to see who is the one responsible for this. And guess who gets the lot? Guess who, gets, who picks the lot? It's Jonas. He picks the lot. And this is the way that these pagan people believe that God speaks through, through the lot. I mean, the apostles even did that to choose Matthias, who was the, the apostle to replace Judas. And then they're going at, oh, why have you done this? And Jonas doesn't really try to explain himself. He said, I just did it. I mean, I, I'm running away from God. Then Jonah says this, take me, take me now and throw me into the depths of the sea. So, Jonas recognized that he's, he's, he's responsible for this. So he's accepting this and he tells them to throw him overboard in which he's going to drown. Now these men, these sailors, they've got 
They've got a good heart. They don't want they don't want to throw them overboard. Throw, they throw the cargo overboard to make the boat lighter, the cargo. But what do they do? It says that they rowed even they're rowing even harder so they wouldn't have to get rid of Jonah. But the storm became even more violent. And Jonah says, just throw me over. So they take Jonah and they toss him over. See how divine providence works. In that very moment, guess who was very close to the ship? Who was close to the ship? A whale. And right in that moment, the whale was doing what you are doing right now. The, 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 the whale was yawning. What are you yawning? Oh, I saw you. I'm very perceptive, no? Yeah, I'm a public speaker for me. I pick up the vibes, no? She was opening up her mouth. I was with my brother and he's learning some Spanish. And my brother Mike, he, he learned a new Spanish phrase. He said, hey, I'm learning some Spanish proverbs. What's that, Mike? La boca cerrada no entra moscas. <laughs> That Mike, okay, yeah. <laughs> if you don't know Spanish, the closed mouth uh, flies and not can enter the mouth, okay? So, in that moment, uh, the like you, the, the whale was uh, was yawning, okay? Getting up from a big siesta, right? So the whale opens up his mouth, and guess who enters in the mouth of the whale? Jonah. There he is. Try to, ima try to imagine yourself being in the belly of a whale. And it, wa it, it wasn't for ten minutes. Three days and three nights. And if you read, I read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Didache commentary, and said that Jesus actually mentions this once, doesn't he? Do you remember? It says, as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth, pointing to the passion, death, of Jesus Christ. Jesus was buried for three days. Not full three days, but Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. So that's a symbol of Jesus Christ in the belly of the earth. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, gave an interpretation that, that never, never occurred to me. I'd like to share it with you. Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. That's how his conversion came about. Wow, never thought about that. Isn't that interesting, Grace? So he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Did he have a, did he, did he have a lot of people that were calling him on the phone? A lot, of a lot of disturbances? No, no really. You, 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 she, he was on a retreat. And that was my thought. So you're going to be in the belly of the whale for three days, huh? <laughs> right, Angie? Uh -huh. You're not going to be as bad smell as the belly of the whale, right? <laughs> so he was, he was there for three days and three nights that allowed him to enter into his heart and to examine his life. I like to call this, I was talking with a priest at lunch today, I think we all have a, a Damascus experience. 
We all have a Pamplona experience. We all have an Augustinian garden experience. Okay? I think all of all of you, I think, have had in your lives some painful experience that God used you to bring you here now. Amen? Amen. To pray over that. I've suffered a lot and so have you. And God is God has allowed this belly of the wear, Pamplona, Damascus experience to bring us where we're at right now. So meditate upon your own belly of the whale, Damascus, Pamplona, garden experience. And you might even thank God that even though that was so painful, God allowed evil to bring greater good out of it. Right? Honestly, these three days could, could be a moment in which we all go through the deepest conversion in our lives. I'm going to be praying that for us. That these three days, there's only three days, can be a real opportunity in which we are going through a deep, deep conversion in our lives. So Jonah was there three days and three nights. It wasn't just three hours. Three days. And then finally after the three days and three nights, what happens is, uh, do you think, that's that's a big fish, do you think that that fish got indigestion? What do you think? You think that that was, that was easy to digest? Got a bellyache, huh? So, the whale, the big fish, after three days, spews, vomits, Jonah, out of his mouth, and he ends up in Tarshish? Ends up in Tarshish, right? Where does he end up? New York? He ends up in Nineveh. Here's another reflection. When God wants something to do to be done, he's going to do it. When God wants something done, he's going to get it done. Now here's another reflection for you. As the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways, as the psalm points out. I repeat, as the heavens are above the earth, so God's ways are above our ways. Our God is a mysterious God. You hear me? Our God is a mysterious God. And I'll give you an analogy I use. Uh, Funerals are are sometimes pretty tough. Especially when you got younger people that die. And often in that time, that time of crisis, that's often when, when people either they draw closer to God or they become angry at God. Right? Sometimes people, they draw closer to God. Others, they, they get angry at God. And the literary a- analogy that I've created, I like to create stories, is, try to imagine, a mountain. Very high mountain. Okay, imagine now that you are an ant. Not A-U-N-T, A-N-T, right? There's a big difference, okay? As they say in English literature, on an ant, okay? You're an ant, okay? You're at the foot of the mountain. How much of the mountain is the ant going to see? 
a little bit beyond his nose, right? Ants don't have very good eyes. Okay, now imagine that you're no longer an ant, but you are transformed into a bald eagle. Ever seen an eagle? And the eagle is flying, hovering over the mountain. Who has better eyes, the ant or the eagle? It's the eagle eye bill, they say, right? The eagles have, they've got good eyes. No? So the eagle is, is flying over the mountain. The ant can barely see beyond his little nose. Whereas the eagle is hovering over and has a panoramic vision of what's going on. He sees the trees. He sees the streams. He sees the rivers. He sees the forests. He sees the ferns. He sees the colors. He sees the little animals. He sees everything in minute detail. We are the ant and God is the eagle. We see only in the present moment. God lives in the eternal present. For God, present, past, present and future is the same. God is the creator of everything. He's even the creator of time. So in these many mysteries that we have in our lives, maybe it's a good idea not so much to question God, get angry at God, but maybe God has better plans than our plans. Right? Maybe God has better plans than our plans. And as we read in St. Paul, for those who love God, all things work together for the good. Amen? Amen. So I'll, I'll leave you at that today. I've, I've given you a summary about half of the book today. And we're going to be dividing you into groups now. Now let's pray, let's pray to the Blessed Mother that all of us will have a Joan experience in which at the end of these three days we will have a profound conversion of our own lives. Amen? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Thank you.